Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Today's scripture reading is uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 15. It says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. That, thanks be to God, was a little bit more of a mumble today. (laughs) Thanks be to God. (laughs) We we love God's Word here at New King, and um, all of it, and uh, we want to preach God's Word, all of it. And uh, that's our commitment to you here. We, we preach through books of the Bible for this reason, so that, you know, when we come to a hard passage or a, a harder teaching, that we don't, get the, we don't get the choice to say, well, that's not what I'm feeling like this week. Um, and we, we want to be faithful to teach you all of God's Word because His Word is good. His ways are our good, our best. And I don't care how many people will tell you otherwise, will say that they have a better way of doing life or a better way of doing church. They're wrong. God's ways and God's word, God's truth is best. And we do best when we stand on his word or rather when we bow beneath it. When we let God's Word uh, dictate our lives and our thinking. So, we're going we're gonna to tackle this passage today. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and turn to this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we will have it on the screen uh, for you to follow along. We've titled this series, Counter Culture. And in our world, there are few things that are more countercultural than this, than uh, a, a right understanding, a right submission to God's design for manhood and womanhood in the church, and I would add in the home, but today we're going to be specifically addressing in, in the church. Um, and that, that's the topic for today. This, these, there are different and complementary roles uh, for men and for women 
in the church. Uh, we are uh, complementarian. That's a big word that, that just means that here at New King, we hold to the teaching that, that men and women are different, uh, that, that they are equal in value and dignity and different, um, and that that's what the Bible teaches. And with those differences, there are differences in roles, and that's what it means to be complementarian. So if you're new to all of this, welcome. Uh, you picked a great Sunday to, uh, to, to jump into this. Um, but, but what you're going to see from the Bible week in and week out, including this week, is that God's ways are different than the culture's. And that's not just true because it's 2022. That has been the case from the very beginning. The world is going to go a different way than God. And so I want to give you a small disclaimer at the front end of this message. I am not going to be able to do uh, this passage justice in the short amount of time that I have. There's so much good packed into this passage of Scripture. Uh, my goal is to give you a, an overview, understanding of it, so that it doesn't throw you off. My goal beyond that would be that you would actually walk out of here loving this. Uh, because, I mean, that's the goal, right? It's not reluctant acceptance of God's ways, but that we would say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. You with me? Amen. So I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to probably answer every single question that this passage might uh, bring up for you, but um, I want to do my best in the time that I'm given, and any questions that you do have at the end, uh, myself, Lucius, Eric, we would love to help you work through those. So we want to invite you to come and talk to us afterwards and, um, and help you work through those things. So be patient. I, here's, here's what I want to ask you, that you would come to God's Word with a desire to know what He thinks, and, and that you would come to His Word with an eagerness, with an eagerness to know what He thinks and to submit to that. That's my desire for you. Um, so let's pray together, and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Um, I thank you for a full room of people who have come here today because they want to know what your word says. We want to know your heart, God. We want to know you, and we want to live in a way that glorifies you as men and as women. And we want to obey you, Holy Spirit. We, wanna, we want to invite you to move through this church, and we don't want to quench you in any way at all. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray for your power to be on display in our lives through your word. God, I pray that that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would challenge us where our thinking is wrong. Lord, and that you would get as much glory as possible through this church and through our individual lives. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, back when uh, my family, when we moved up this way, we, we lived in Burlington on North Street, and, um, and so there was a lot of foot traffic that went right by our house. And uh, my boys were uh, younger then, and they wanted to make some money. They were ambitious. And so they went out on the sidewalk and set up a lemonade stand. I think they charged 25 cents or 50 cents, something like that. At the end of the day, they came back inside. I think they'd made like six bucks, and they had to split it two ways. Uh, then one of them, I don't know who, but somebody got this idea. What if we went out there and sold paper airplanes? And, um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll do different designs, and we'll color them different ways. And there, one of them was pitching this idea to me, and I'm just thinking, like, this is not going to work, but okay. I don't want to squash your dreams. And... Um, and so, so they go outside, they set up this stand, and they, and they decided this time around a little bit different approach rather than put a price tag on them because they thought, I mean, how can you put a price tag on these beauties, you know? Uh, they thought, we'll just say, would you just pay us whatever you think it's worth? And at the end of the day, they came inside with like 50 bucks. And they never sold lemonade again. Well, I share that story just to say Satan is kind of like this. If, if he can see, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent, so, so he's going to try and maximize his destruction, right? He's going to try and, and use whatever time and energy that he has and resources that he has to try and maximize his destruction on the glory of God in the earth, right? And if he can do that, he, he, and he's smart, he, he's, he's smarter than us, he's very smart, and so he's going to put his time and energy into that which causes most destruction. So with that in, in mind, I think most of, most of us who are Christians in the room would look at our, at our culture around us and say, Satan has waged an all-out war on gender in our culture, right? Well, have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Have you ever, like, I mean, have you ever said, okay, um, coming after, you know, innocent babies, that I understand, or coming after... Uh, Coming after our kids in the schools, okay, I understand that. Or uh, trying to get people addicted to drugs or alcohol, I get that. Or trying to get people addicted to various sins, okay, I get that. But why gender? Why come after that? Why put limited time, energy, and resources into that? You ever ask the question? Well, I want, I want to show you that I believe he's come after the very idea of male and female because he hates God's glory and he sees the potential in God's glory being displayed on the earth when we rightly live as men and women according to God's design. Okay, follow me? That brings me to my first point. God's design is for God's glory. 
And I'm going to start here because, this is connected to our passage, because this is where Paul roots his argument. His reasoning for what he says in here about women not being permitted to to teach or exercise authority over men is rooted in the creation design. Look at verse 13. It says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So do you see what I'm saying here? That Paul is making his case for the way, the pattern that he sees for men and women in the church based upon the design that's seen in the creation account. Following me? Okay, I need, you, I need to know that you're following me. Give me a little nod if you're following me. Okay, thank you. All right, so that's where he is basing his argument. That's where his reasoning is coming from. So we want to start here. God created all that exists, and his reason for creating it was to put his glory on display. And so here's what, here's what his glory, I've been using that word. Maybe you're not familiar with the word. Glory is splendor, magnificence, beauty, or greatness. All glory comes from God, okay? And he has, he, so he is the source and pinnacle of all glory, and he loves his glory, and he made everything that exists to shine forth his glory. There there is no glory that comes from anywhere else, so any glory that you see comes from him. He infused it into creation. So if you've ever wondered why it is when you, you can't walk past or drive past a sunset without stopping and looking with awe, the reason is because of glory. It's because you long for glory and I long for glory. And everything was created to show it. 1 Corinthians 15, 39 through 41. I'm just going to read this really quickly. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. God's glory is so immense that he couldn't just create one glorious thing and say, there, you see it? That's my glory on display. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. God had to create everything that is in order to display his glory. And if you take one of those things away, then then that's one less aspect of his glory that is showcased. You see? So a, a lion shows God's glory in a different way than a volcano or an oak tree. And at the pinnacle of creation, he makes man and woman to show his glory more uniquely, more more potently than any other created thing. It says in Genesis 1, 27 and 31, so God created man in his own image in the image of God. 
in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then it says, verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It was not enough that there be man only or woman only. It required male and female together to image, to reflect God on the earth. And so if all of creation is made for his glory and at the pinnacle of this creation, human beings made in the image of God and those human beings are made male and female together, they show forth, they showcase God's glory in creation more than anything else. Men and women equal in dignity and value, but distinct in the aspects of God's glory that they carry and showcase. Isaiah 43, 6-7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You want to know why you're here? You want to know why you exist? Here it is. You exist to showcase God's glory. You exist to showcase God's glory. And men showcase different aspects of God's glory than women. Women showcase different aspects of God's glory than men. So, God designed men and women to be different and complementary. We are different. Men and women have different aspects of God's glory, different strengths, different weaknesses. And by God's design, we we have different uh, callings and roles that we are to steward to show forth God's glory. As seen in the creation account, Adam is formed first, and that's what Paul says. References here, Adam is formed first, then Eve is created. In Genesis 2.18, it says, for, as a helper fit for him. So there, there's roles already beginning to be established. This is before sin enters into the picture. And then the institution of marriage um, is proclaimed, and it says that the man is to, is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So the man is to, is to lead, to be the initiator in marriage. So, that, so we're different. We have different roles and different aspects of uh, glory that we carry. But also we're complementary. So men and women together complement each other. Our strengths and weaknesses together complement one another. We, we help each other to shine forth the glory that we're meant to showcase. We need, men need women and women need men in order to be able to shine forth the glory that we're meant to shine forth. And so... Men 
We're designed by God to take the primary responsibility to lead, to protect, to provide for those under their care. And women were designed by God to take the primary responsibility to respond to that leadership in, in marriage and in the church and support that leadership and nurture those that God has called them to love. Can I get an amen? If you're bold enough, if you're sitting there with your spouse and you're bold, you say amen. If you're not sure and you're like, I don't know how she's thinking about this. I don't know how he's thinking about this. Praise God for our ladies. Praise God for our ladies. Amen. I don't know what happened to this church if we didn't have the ladies we have. Um, and both in the church and in the home, this pattern was designed by God to be a drama to showcase the relationship between Christ and the church. Did you know that? There's more going on than just this, is, this makes sense and this is wise. There's more going on than that. This is about the gospel. It's about showcasing the beauty of the gospel that Christ is the head of his body, the church, that he lovingly leads, that he lays his life down for her, and that in response she submits, she honors and submits to Christ as her leader. So when men and women embrace God's good design for masculinity and femininity, we are shining, we are showcasing the glory of God, and, it, and particularly the glory of God in the gospel. You see that? So that's my first point, and that's kind of the, I wanted to lay that foundation because that is the that is the root of Paul's reasoning in this passage. Secondly, um, second point, God's design is for spiritual men to lead. And I want to I just hit these hard verses, right? That, that when you heard, heard them read, some of you, like, you know, started to sit down. <laughs> I want to I get right to these. Satan's attack on gender is far broader than just pop culture. He, he, is, attacking, he is attacking the church, and, and he's attacking the home. He wants to do away with this, this beautiful design that showcases God's glory. And um, God's design for the church is that men bear the primary responsibility for teaching and leadership. And, and that's what Paul and the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying in these verses in 11 through 14. Let's look at those together. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now remember the context of our letter. 
Remember what the purpose of the letter is. The purpose of the letter, Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is about how do we conduct ourselves within the church? What's God's will for the church? And how does the church, in the way that it conducts itself, stand out and and shine as a pillar and a buttress of the truth to a world that's blind to the truth, to a world that's lost in darkness? How, how, How do we embrace these Countercultural things that God has designed and, and in so doing showcase what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. And then in this chapter 2 here that we're in, Paul's giving instructions on worship. So these are specifically that he's getting into when you're gathered together as a church, how do you do it? What are... What, what are, what's God's will in that setting? How do, how do you go about this? And he begins talking about prayer and that everyone needs to be people of prayer. And he goes into the things that he wants us praying for. And he goes into the fact that God's desire is for everyone to be saved. And, and the gospel is to be preached. And, and, then, um, and then he gets here to this section. And he addresses men and then he addresses women. And all of this is leading up to and setting up chapter 3. Immediately after he says this, he goes right into the qualifications of pastors. And so you, you can't rightly understand where, what Paul's doing here without seeing where he goes next. And so where he goes next is, okay, now here are qualifications of pastors or elders. We use those terms interchangeably. So what he's, what he's ultimately getting at here is that women are not to be pastors or elders. And he makes that even clearer in this next section in chapter 3, which we'll dive into. What, what he's saying is when he says she is to remain quiet, that's, that's, that's offensive to us, right? Well, partly because I think we, we misunderstand it. When he says quiet, he doesn't mean silent. He doesn't mean silent. He, he do, he mean, what he means, that word there, it means an untroubled spirit. He's saying that you're to allow spiritual men to lead with an untroubled spirit, with submissiveness and, and with an untroubled spirit about it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, same guy that wrote this letter, Paul spe- gives specific instructions to women for how to pray and prophesy in the gathering of the church, right? So clearly Paul does not have in mind here that as soon as you walk in those doors, it's silence for you if you're a lady. That's not at all what he's saying or what he's expecting. He is saying that the, role for, the roles of authoritative leading and teaching are reserved for men. It's also important to point out here how countercultural 
Uh, Paul is being in his day. For first century Jews, it was countercultural to say, let a woman learn. <laughs> we might easily pass over that. But, but all throughout the scriptures, we see that God is, is just, he's not concerned with trying to please the culture. <laughs> he's concerned with what is right according to his design. And so even here, this is countercultural. In, in this day, in, in Paul's day, let the women learn. Let them dive into doctrine. Let them go deep and understand all of God's word. Let them learn. So, this is one of the primary texts that we get our understanding for complementarian doctrine from. And there are arguments against it. And I want to address just a couple of them. I do not have time to address all of them. But um, one is that Paul is basing his prohibition of women pastors here on cultural norms. And I think a very plain reading of the text shows us that that's not the case. That he directly connects his reasoning to the creation account. We've already looked at that in verse 13. Right after saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain silent, he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Second reason that people will um, reject the the doctrine of complementarianism is that they'll say, well, um, male leadership is, in the church and in the home as a result of the fall. And we're working in reverse from the fall. We're, try, we're trying to get back to God's intended design. And, and I think, again, I think when we look at this passage clearly and when you study the creation account, before sin enters in, you're going to see that God comes to Adam, that he gives commands to Adam and Adam then passes those on to Eve, that this is the order that he established in the beginning. You're going to see that, yes, Adam was created first, and then Eve was formed out of his body, out of his side, as a helper for him. And this is all before sin enters into the picture. So you can see here that it's, it's not He's not making his argument based upon what are the norms of the culture. He's not making his argument based upon, oh, this is just how it is now that sin has entered into the picture. He's making it based on God's design. What you have, if you look at verses 13 and 14, verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. transgressor. I believe what you have here is verse 13 is showing God's design and verse 14 is showing Satan's attack on that. So what you see in in Genesis 1 and 2 and even in 3 after the fall is that God comes and addresses Adam as the head of that marriage, comes to him, And then all of a sudden, the serpent comes into the scene. Satan comes into the story. 
And he goes for who? He goes for Eve. He goes for Eve and deceives her. He, he, he flips God's pattern. And it's very intentional and it's very instructive. It's a reversal of roles at the heart of the fall. So I want to now consider, okay, well, so if that's what happened, now we've fallen, what does our fallen masculinity or our fallen femininity look like? Where do we struggle in our fallenness as men and where do we struggle in our fallenness as women? First, as men, um, we see right here in the story of the fall that men, we are prone to and tempted toward passivity. Passivity. Um, when this happens, when, when Satan comes into the garden and he goes after Eve, guess where our boy Adam is? He's right there, sitting there, not doing nothing. Genesis 3, 6, it says, Eve took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So there's this whole conversation that happens between Satan and Eve, and the whole time, Adam says nothing. It's the sin of passivity. It's sitting back and letting it happen. And I can just look at my own life to say, to know, we still struggle with passivity today. Can I get a witness? Any men in the room bold enough to say, yeah? Yeah. We, it's really easy. It's really easy to just sit back and let somebody else take the lead in a situation where we are divinely commanded by God to take the lead. And this is a gross sin. And we see from the fall that this sin, where this sin is present, destruction follows. Where men choose passivity and sit back on our haunches, that's the way we say it down in Georgia, Destruction follows. I think we can look at our, our world and see the results of this. And so we are prone to passivity. On the other side of things, um, men are prone to domineering. It's the other, that's the other side of the coin. This is what our fallen uh, maleness looks like on the other end. Domineering leadership. That's... that's Using force, whether that be force of personality or, or force of uh, our, our position or force of strength to make other people do what we want them to do, to control them. That's, that is also wicked in a way that men sin in our fallenness. That's fallen masculinity. So you have fallen masculinity on the one end, in the area of passivity, sitting back, let somebody else take the lead where I should be. And then the other side is domineering. I'm going to try and control the situation. So 
What about, what about women? I struggled with this because I'm not a woman. I, I did. It was real easy to see for men. But I, here's what I think, two ways that I think we see the fallen um, femininity at play. I, I think one is, is in that phrase, let, uh, let a, wor- a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness wh- or not with, without a troubled spirit. I think there is one way for, for women to err where there is like a, okay, I'll accept it, but not, not, I'm not going to be happy about it. It's just how it is, but I hate it, right? Um, a reluctance to accept God's pattern as good and as beautiful. I think that's, I think that's one way. Ladies, you'll have to let me know if I'm right about that. The other way that I see for, for women, that, um, the fallenness of femininity is being prone to usurp the spiritual men that God has placed over them, whether that be in the home or in the church. And, and, and that usually, I think, happens through, um, I mean, I think it can happen through manipulation or it could happen through, um, even through just dominating in a, in a situation. So, Men and women, we were, we were designed by God to, to have different strengths and weaknesses, to work together in complementary ways, to showcase His glory, but sin has entered into the picture and we're fallen and we mess it up in so many ways. But th- this is a call. Today is a call to come back to God's good design, to embrace it wholeheartedly, to love it, and to live according to it. And that brings me to my next point. And I'm past the hardest part, so you can breathe. Some of you have been holding your breath for the last 26 minutes. Um, God's design is for all men and all women to be mobilized for ministry. Think for just a moment about Jesus' ministry. If you're familiar with the Gospels, Think for just a minute about his ministry. Now, yes, he had, I think, in, in accordance with God's good design, he had the apostles. The disciples were 12 men, and, and those were the leaders of the church. But he also was radically countercultural in how inclusive he was of women in the ministry. I mean, he had a large number of women in his direct entourage, in his following, that were doing the work of ministry, um, that he was teaching directly, standing up for and protecting and mobilizing. And so God's, God's desire is to mobilize all men and all women. The, uh, it would be a huge mistake for you to walk out of here today because we studied this passage and say, well, I guess I'm just 
discredited from ministry, can't do ministry. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, God wants men and women, every single one of us, using our whole lives, our giftings, our time, our resources to display the glory of God to a world that is lost. Look back up at the the first few verses of our passage from today. Verses 8 through 11. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So let me first address the, the clear and direct commands for men and then for women. Men, what Paul is getting at, and he addresses the men first, according to God's pattern in the church, he says, men, glorify God by leading the way in prayer. The command for the whole church has already been established in verse 1 of this chapter. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That is a command given to the whole church. And now he's saying, men, men, pray. Men, lead the way in prayer. Guys, let me just talk to you for a sec. It, a lot of us guys, we have a tendency to want to take on roles that are just hands-on. I get that, and that is very important and needed, and I'm with you. But the first calling for every man is to pursue the heart of God. That is our first calling. I was thinking about this in terms of, I love a good study of uh, Saul and David, And when you look at the difference between these two leaders, you have Saul, who he's very utilitarian when it comes to his relationship with God. Um, He wants to use God when God God is needed, right? Like he's in a tight spot and, and an army is mustering against him. And it's like, oh shoot, I can't, he knows I can't go up against them without God's favor. So I got to go through the religious motions and, and, and he, and God rejects him as king for that because he's going through the motions without a heart for God. But then you have David. It's when God rejects Saul as king, he says, guess what? I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And when, when you look at the, the life of David, what do you see? What characterizes David's life? Prayer and worship. He's the worship leader of Israel. He wrote the Psalms. And you think, how did he have time for that? He was king, he was running a nation. Because this was first priority in his life. Pursuing the heart of God was first priority in his life. Men, pursuing the heart of God has to be our first priority in life. Loving him. 
spending time with him, getting to know him. And this, is, this applies to women too. But, but, but I want to just zero in on the men just as the passage does. In uh, September, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. You'll hear more about that later. But, but men, we ought to lead the charge in this. We ought to lead the, we ought to get excited about this and say to our families, let's do this together. Men, glorify God by leading the way in prayer. Go after God's heart. It is, it is painfully true that if we have no prayer life, we have no relationship with God. You can go through, you can come to church for all the wrong reasons. You can come to church because it's intellectually stimulating when other people preach. Or you can come to church because there's, there's people that you can get to know here and make friends here for the community here. You can, for, you can come here for good reasons, but not for God. We need men. We need to be spiritual men who lead the way in prayer. Second thing that he says here is um, pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Man, i got to speed up. Wow. This is going to be a little longer one. Is that okay? You're stuck here, so say yes. It'll be good. Um, <laughs> so he says lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. In the Bible, our hands represent our deeds. And so when, when he says praying with, and, and lifted hands was a common posture for prayer, right? And so Paul is, is essentially saying your public worship needs to match your private holiness. Isaiah 1, 15 through 16 says, the Lord, speaking through his prophet Isaiah, is, is rebuking his people. He says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. So God is saying, look, you, you're, you're raising your hands and praying. Your life you're in rebellion. And so God says, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Don't, don't put on this show about in front of everybody about, about praying and how holy you are when at home you're in complete rebellion against me. In private, you're in complete rebellion against me. And so Paul commends us to, to have holy hands raised in, in prayer. And he says, without anger or quarreling. You know, I think people tend to think that the longer you've been at a church, the easier it is to have deep relationships. That is false. <laughs> this is being written to a church that's about 10 years old. So, uh, some of you immediately will know that this is true. You come to a church, you're in the honeymoon phase, and everybody's great, right? But it, 
All it takes is for your sinful flesh to rub up against somebody else's sinful flesh, right? And we're all sinners struggling through this life, and we step on each other's toes, and we hurt. And, and so the longer you're at a church, the harder you have to fight for community. Did you know that? The longer you're at a church, the harder you have to pray for unity. The longer you're at a church, the more patient you have to be with the people around you. And so if you are in the honeymoon phase, we're not that good. <laughs> Let me just get, get it over with. We're going we're gonna to step on your toes. We're going to aggravate you and frustrate you and, and hurt you. If you're past the honeymoon phase and you're like, I'm here, but I don't know why I used to love it here, but now I can't stand anybody. <laughs> this passage is for you. you. You need to go to people and, and make things right. You, you need to fight for deep relationships. Did you know that revivals have been started by people doing that? Did you know that revivals have been started by people saying, you know what, I want to make sure that all of my relationships with all the people in my church are good, clear, and the Holy Spirit fell because of it. It's powerful. This is so important to the heart of God. Now, let me move on. Women. It says in verse 11, let a woman learn. We've talked about that. So women, glorify God by studying good doctrine by digging deep, by knowing the whole book. Learn good doctrine. And why? Why learn? What's the purpose? Does God just say, learn so you can just keep it to yourself? No. No, learn so that you can instruct others, so you can disciple other women, so that you can pour your life out in a way that glorifies and honors Him and, and that expands his kingdom, right? That, that God wants to mobilize you for ministry. And then it goes, let's look at verse uh, 9 and 10 together. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So women glorify God by modeling modesty, self-control, a teachable and submissive spirit, and good works. Paul, Paul says to these women, he says, look, women, you're designed by God to want to show beauty. That's, that's good. Praise God for women or this world would look like a bachelor pad. <laughs> Praise God for women who, who bring beauty and life into places. Praise God. But Paul is saying in that gift, there is also a, a, a temptation for sin. And that is that you overdo it in trying to present yourself, you, that, you, that you go too far to try to bring undue attention to yourself. This is, Paul is not saying don't care about your appearance. That's not what he's saying. He's saying exercise modesty. Um, 
and, and, and focus your attention on glorifying God, not yourself. Focus your attention on the good works, he says there, that bring glory to God, which makes me think of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So what should we be, what should we be focused on? Adorning ourselves with good works that point people, not to me, but to God. That's true for men and women. All right, let me conclude here with our last point. God's design is for God's glory, and it's also for our flourishing. It's for His glory, but it's also for our flourishing. Men and women flourish when we gladly embrace His design for living. This, this is, if, if you embrace and live according to God's Word in this realm of manhood and womanhood and in any other area of life, what you will find is that it does not oppress you or push you down or hold you back. It frees you you will find that you, you are stepping into a pattern that is built into creation. And you will flourish when you choose to embrace and live according to His designs. And so don't buy the world's wisdom that says it has a better way than God's way. Don't, don't give in to the temptation to... Pick and choose what you want to follow in God's Word. Choose today to wholeheartedly submit to and love and embrace God's design in all things in life. And you will find that you will work in harmony with creation. Men, you will work in harmony with women. Women, you will work in harmony with men. And this is about not just our flourishing, but also warfare. As I said when I started this sermon, that Satan is seeking to destroy the very concepts of gender. When we live according to God's good design for men and women in the church and in the home, we are safeguarding God's truths that are in His Word. It is about warfare. So manhood and womanhood are best guarded when the church as a whole teaches, loves, and embraces God's design and God's pattern for men and women. So I want to leave you with this. If you love God, if you love His glory, then get to know what God wants in His Word and build your life upon His Word and upon His ways. And then if we do that together, then this church will be a pillar and a buttress of the truth in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your good designs 
for men, for women, for our flourishing and for your glory. And, and Lord, I, I pray that where there are parts of our hearts that are not embracing and loving parts of your word, would you help us there? God, would you patiently and lovingly shepherd us there? And God, would you allow this church to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth in a lost world, in a world that's lost its way completely, that's run in the other direction completely? Give us the strength to stand, Lord, when the pressures of this world are strong, to bend. Help us to trust you, to stand upon what is true, and to do so with glad hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.